If you have a comment or a question about something you've heard on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, send an email to contact at thewordendures.org. Greetings in Christ. I'm Dr. Reed Lessing, Director of the Center for Biblical Studies at Concordia University in St. Paul, Minnesota. The Center offers annual preaching workshops for Advent and Lent, seminars on a book of the Bible, and studies focused on biblical stewardship. We also showcase the best biblical scholarship in the LCMS by hosting three-day seminars each summer, featuring a guest scholar. Learn more at csp.edu slash Center for Biblical Studies. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. LHF is a recognized service organization of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, dedicated to translating and publishing the books of our Lutheran faith into more than 100 languages for our Christian brothers and sisters around the world. Learn how you can take part in their work at lhfmissions.org. Welcome to The Word of the Lord Endures Forever with Pastor Will Wheaton. But conscience can sometimes be misinformed, and that was the case here. Paul had a good conscience as he guarded the coats of those killing Stephen and cheered them on. He had a good conscience when he was preparing to march into Damascus and round up Jesus' followers to haul them back to Jerusalem for punishment. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a daily verse-by-verse Bible study with the church, past and present. Pastor Whedon is leading us in a study of the book of Acts. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Greetings, people loved by God. Well, as Paul had wrapped up his speech by daring to suggest that the living Lord Jesus had sent him to the Gentiles, all hell broke loose again. The people were shouting that he deserved death. They were throwing off their cloaks and throwing dust up into the air. The tribune having had enough of all this, brings Paul into the safety of the barracks and orders the centurion to have him examined by flogging to find out what on earth all this ruckus is about. But as the lictors stretched him out for the whips, Paul casually asks the centurion a question. So is it lawful for you to flog a Roman citizen, a man who has not been condemned? That put the brakes on things mighty fast. The centurion warns the tribune of the folly of what he had just ordered, and the tribune is clearly skeptical. Are you a Roman citizen? The answer comes back simply, yes. Considering the poor wretch still stretched out for the flogging, the tribune says, I bought that citizenship, and it cost a pretty penny. Remember, he must have done it fairly recently since he took the name of Claudius. Paul probably nodded, but added, yeah, but I was born into it. That was a privilege of being a native of Tarsus since the time of Mark Antony. The lictors hastily withdrew, and even the tribune was nervous, knowing that he'd bound Paul. A reading from Acts, the 22nd and 23rd chapters, beginning at the 30th verse of chapter 22. But on the next day, Desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, 
I've lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Acts 22.30-23.5 Let us pray. Grant, we beg you, Almighty God, to us and to your whole church, your Holy Spirit, and the wisdom that comes down from above, that your word may not be bound but a free course and be preached and taught to the joy and edifying of Christ's holy people, that in steadfast faith they may serve you and in the confession of your name abide to their end. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Ready to work through today's passage? Let's do it. Acts 22, verse 30. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet, and he brought Paul down and set him before them. Claudius Lysias is determined to get to the bottom of what the Jews' beef is with St. Paul. So he commands them all to gather, the chief priests with the whole council. It was likely after they had assembled that the tribune gave the signal for Paul to be brought in. And much to their consternation, Paul saunters in with Roman guards as escorts, but with nary a chain in sight. When he had spoken to the crowds the day before on the steps, he was clearly a criminal in chains. But now, seeing him unbound and free, must have raised quite a few eyebrows and brought some scowls. As Paul is set before the council, I imagine there was a time of silence. He gathered his thoughts, looked up, and met their eyes. Chapter 23, verse 1. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. As he had done the day prior, he politely addresses his interlocutors as brothers. The stress again is, hey, I'm one of you, remember? And then he makes what sounds like an extraordinary claim. He says that he has lived his life before God in all good conscience up to this day. By saying before God, he's inviting God to be the witness to what he's claiming here. But what does he mean to live in all good conscience? The Lutheran study Bible suggests that it means nothing more than that he knows he's not guilty of the charges they're about to bring against him. I don't think that quite cuts it, though. So I think Paul means he's always done what he was convinced was the right thing. He didn't violate his conscience and intentionally do things that he knew were wrong. He took God's law quite seriously. But conscience can sometimes be misinformed, and that was the case here. Paul had a good conscience as he guarded the coats of those killing Stephen and cheered them on. He had a good conscience when he was preparing to march into Damascus and round up Jesus' followers to haul them back to Jerusalem for punishment. True, on the road to Damascus, 
Jesus showed how mistaken Paul's conscience had been on those matters. But his point is that in everything he did, even in opposition to Jesus, he did it with the integrity of believing he was doing what was pleasing to God. This is why he would write to the Philippians, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. No wonder St. Paul was the great reformer Martin Luther's hero. He too knew that it's neither safe nor right to go against conscience. Verse 2, And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Though Paul had spoken simply and sincerely, and no doubt, had he been given time, he would have gone on to explain how his conscience had misled him about Jesus, his words irritate the high priest. At this time, Ananias, the son of Nedebaeus, served as the high priest. He served from about A.D. 47 to 58. He commands those who stood by Paul to strike him on the mouth. A slap or a punch? Can't really tell. Paul's trial here parallels Jesus' own before the council. Remember that he, too, had been struck, John 18, verse 22, for simply speaking the truth. Verse 3, Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet, contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. Now, I find it fascinating that the fathers do not tend to read Paul's response here as being at all a fit of pique, which is the way it kind of sounds to me. John Chrysostom is typical of them in what he told his congregation in 4th century Antioch. These are words of boldness rather than anger. And the venerable Bede, writing in early 8th century England, concurs and even adds, Paul did not say this because he was stirred by passion in his mind. Rather, he surely spoke by way of prophesying. And true to Paul's prophecy here, the hated Ananias was indeed struck down, assassinated by the zealots, the Sicarii, about three years after this trial took place. Whitewashed wall should certainly bring to mind Jesus' fiery words denouncing hypocrisy in Matthew 23, 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. And Paul cannot let them pass over the irony of the whole scene. They're sitting here to judge him according to the law, and yet the high priest simply violates that very law in ordering Paul to be struck on the mouth. Verse 4, those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? Paul's words must have sounded appalling in their ears. They hear him reviling, that is scorning and despising the high priest. It's a wonder they didn't strike his mouth again but they seem almost too shocked at Paul's words to act. Verse 5, And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, you might think that's problematic. How on earth could Paul not know that Ananias was the high priest? 
Didn't he just make clear to the crowds that he had received letters from the high priest himself and the council of the elders to do his dirty work up in Damascus? But remember, his conversion to Christ had been around AD 36, and sometime around AD 40 was when he was last in Jerusalem for any time with the brothers. So he was living and working elsewhere, Antioch and his mission journeys, for most of the decade that Ananias had served in the high priestly office. He might have known this man's predecessors well, but Ananias himself was a stranger to him. Thus, he may have spoken quite simple truth when he confessed that he didn't realize that Ananias was the high priest then. But there's another possibility, and I find it intriguing. Remember that they had called Ananias God's high priest. St. Augustine of Hippo, author of City of God, takes Paul's words this way. It's as though he were saying, I have come to know another high priest, for whose name's sake I am suffering these injuries, a high priest whom it is not lawful to revile, but whom you are reviling, because in me you hate nothing else than his name. I really like that, particularly if Paul is the author of Hebrews, or at least the inspiration behind the book of Hebrews, with its declaration of Jesus as the high priest. Think of Hebrews 4.14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. If we remember that Jesus is the high priest, then they are the ones who are reviling God's high priest not Paul. That's where we're going to call our hiatus for today. Next up, Paul does a very clever thing. The council was composed of a mixture of folks who actually were quite doctrinally divided from each other. The Sadducees had pretty much made peace with the Hellenized world, and they weren't overly observant, and they tended to actually run things at the temple. The Pharisees, however, were actually much more faithful in believing the scriptures, though sadly they did add their own traditions to the sacred scriptures and regarded them as nearly equal. But Paul was brought up as a Pharisee, and so he splits the room by calling out that he's on trial because he's a Pharisee, because he believes in the resurrection. It was clever indeed, and it worked. The assembly split, and the Pharisees were championing Paul as the Sadducees were denouncing him. And the Tribune, yet again, has to rescue his pet troublemaker before he's torn to pieces by the opposing sides. Jesus, though, gives Paul a word of encouragement the following night. Take courage, you're headed to Rome. Till next time, people loved by God, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Word of the Lord Endures Forever with Pastor Will Whedon. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a listener-supported program. You can donate by check, make your check payable to The Word Endures, and send it to Box 616, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also make a secure online contribution at thewordendures.org. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.